Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on December 19th by our lead pastor, Rod Heppel. Today is the fourth sermon in our Advent 2021 sermon series entitled, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. All that glitters is not gold, and today we're looking at how this applies to the church, and in particular at Christmas time. And what I really have in mind here as we explore this is that everything that we do as a church family at Christmas time, we're asking the question, what is the goal of it? What are we trying to achieve? What are, what are we aiming at and what is the goal? Now, I grew up in the church. It's kind of how the saying goes, right? Uh, my parents became Christians in their middle 20s, and when they did, they really took seriously their role of discipling us as kids. There was four of us. And so what that meant is that they got active in the life of the church. My dad became a deacon, my mom played the organ, as well as a host of other leadership roles that they played uh, based on the gifting that they had. And as kids, we would go to church when the church was open, and in those days, the church was open a lot. Like on a Sunday morning, you would have Sunday school before the worship service, you would have the worship service, and then concurrent with that worship service, you'd have junior church for the kids. And then in the evening, you'd come back for another worship service, and then Tuesday night was the kids program, and Wednesday night was youth, and Thursday night was choir, and Wednesday night was also a midweek prayer meeting night, and Friday night was again youth, and then sometimes on Saturday mornings as you got close to Christmas, it was time to come out and practice for the Christmas production, the kids play, or the pageant. And you know, that's a lot of stuff that's going on in the life of the church. A lot of activity. So what's the purpose of it? And it seemed like it even got more active at Christmas time because there was more going on. And I want to talk to the fact that there was a Christmas tradition when I was growing up that we no longer have, and I'm kind of glad about that. Uh, Pastor Tim preached on Christmas traditions a couple weeks ago. But this one here was that the tradition was that on Christmas Day, you would come for a morning worship service and then you would go home. And my parents, they always made us wait to open our gifts until after the Christmas Day service. And I found that really hard. I was super, super grateful when they moved it to Christmas Eve. And by the way, I hope you join us Christmas Eve. We do have two services, 5 and 6.30. Go to our website and sign up. We need to know how many people are coming. But we also had a New Year's Eve service. Uh, This one was maybe a little more fun because they had food and games, but they always pulled us together and we had a time of sharing and prayer. Of course, by midnight, I was ready to fall asleep as a kid. But all of this conjured up really good memories for me as I reflect back on my childhood. Uh, All of these memories at Christmas were around community and fellowship and Christ. There's no one more nostalgic than me about Christmas. And I want to talk to us about what is the gold and what's not. One year I remember um, coming home from Briarcrest. I was 19 years old, finished my first semester there, and it was the Christmas Eve service. And it wasn't the same. I couldn't believe it. The place wasn't very full, the music wasn't very good, and I didn't feel like it was Christmassy. And I remember meeting the pastor in the foyer, and he says to me, Welcome back, Rod. Good to have you back. How did you enjoy the service? And I remember my response was that I kind of feel a bit sad. Oh, why is that? He inquired. And I said, well, you know, it wasn't very full and the music wasn't that great, to be honest. And I don't know, it just didn't feel very Christmassy. Something wasn't quite right. Have you ever felt that way, that somehow your Christmas bubble has been popped? You know, thinking back on that, I feel really bad for that pastor and how I gave this appraisal of the evening, when really what should have been appraised 
was my own heart. My own heart. Where was my heart at in worshiping Jesus at Christmas? Was I even there to worship Jesus at Christmas, or was I there just to get my warm, fuzzy, Christmassy feeling? The gold and the glitter. Worshiping Jesus is the gold of Christmas. Everything we do is to point us to Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. Everything. All of it. Even the fun stuff that's just for fun. It's still trying to help people understand that we have a God who loves us. He's placed us in the body of Christ. There's community and fellowship, and it's around Christ our Lord. But worship is also about a choice that I make to bring to God something. Do I bring to God my praise and my thanksgiving and my adoration? It's irrespective of the fact that the elements around that, the external things, are there or not. I, I didn't always understand that, by the way. I think that my default position on worship is that if the music was just right and the atmosphere was great and the right people were there, that somehow that's what allowed me to enter into worship. Very external. And if it wasn't there, then maybe I didn't enter into worship. All that glitters is not gold. I remember two times at Briarcrest, again in my younger, young adult years, where I did some learning on this. I remember two stories. One was our student body president who just happened to say to me one day, worship is hard work. I kind of looked at him and I wasn't exactly sure what he meant. I I thought I had an idea, but I I inquired about it and he explained. He said, you know, Rod, um, often what happens is that if we feel like worshiping God, we do. And if we don't feel like it, we don't. But God deserves our worship all the time, and it's really hard work in those times when we don't feel like worshiping, but we choose to worship because God is worth it. And I thought, well, that's a good point I hadn't really thought of before. And then the second story is of um, the wife of our Old Testament theology prof. Her name was Jeannie Hildebrand, and she was giving an introduction to our chapel one day. And she explain to us what a call to worship was. I hadn't heard of that language before. It was the opening words in the service that drew your attention to center on Christ. And what she did was she went into the Old Testament and she showed how people were to prepare themselves before they came into the temple of God, that they might come into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. And I thought about that, preparing my heart for worship. I don't think I understood that. I just kind of showed up and then I waited for it to happen. So when we weave these two ideas together, what we see is that God is worthy of our worship, whether we are feeling it or not, right? And also that I have a role to play in preparing my heart to worship God. This helped me realize that the worship service is about God and not me. Now, that Christmas Eve when I was 19 and just home from my first semester at Briarcrest, my pastor asked me how I enjoyed the service. What really happened there is that my heart had been exposed and my understanding of worship had been exposed. I was relying so much on the external factors to move me to worship, while at the same time neglecting my responsibility to prepare myself and bring my worship to God. For sure, these external factors do play a role in our worship. Uh, To say they have no place would be wrong. But to say that they're the definitive factor as to whether or not I actually bring my worship to God, that's wrong as well. It's the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord that we come together in his name and bring him the praise and adoration that he is due.
The Christmas song Silent Night is capturing this idea that Jesus Christ is Lord at his birth. That hasn't changed. From eternity past to eternity future, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we gather to worship him. Uh, Christmas, in the Christmas story, you see a lot of elements that either border on worship or are direct worship. You have the angel coming to proclaim to the shepherds this good news of Jesus Christ the Savior. You have the shepherds taking that information and going to see if it was true and then telling the townspeople about it. And you have Mary pondering all these things up in her heart. And you have Simeon and Anna in the temple and they glorify God when they see the Messiah, the promised one that he had come. And then you have eventually the Magi coming to see this child. And what do they do? They bow before him in worship because Christmas is all about worship. Jesus is Lord at his birth. But if we stop and think about worship, we wonder, well, what exactly is it? And I want to put that to you. How would you define worship or how would you describe it? Rob Schaff has mentioned a book by a guy named Greg Beale, and uh, it's called We Become What We Worship. And his thesis in the book is what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. Now, that's a pretty deep thought, and if you were to read the book, you would become enlightened. But here's the gist of it. There's something deep within the human heart, within the human psyche, that seeks to worship. We will worship something. Will it be God or will it be something else? And so what this book is trying to point out is that our heart can be inclined to give itself to money, to fame, to power, those kinds of things, or to a person, or, or to ourselves. And he's saying that whatever it is that you give your heart to, your worship to, eventually your life will resemble that. And in time, you will be exposed for what's actually there. And in these cases, they are empty. The glitter, not the gold the ruin, not the restoration. The first of the Ten Commandments makes it really clear that God says the only thing that should be worshipped is me. And it goes like this in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. And he goes on in multiple places to say, you shall not bow before an idol, you shall not give your, my glory to an idol or to another god. You shall have no other gods before me. That means that God alone is the one who is to be worshipped because he's our only creator and our only redeemer. The coming together that we have to worship God in a worship service is merely an expression of this understanding about who God is. It's our uh, life given over to God and we come together to out of the flow of love for God and what he, who he is and what he's done for us, out of that comes the words, the songs, the prayers, the confessions and everything that we would call worship is knowing his great mercy in our lives through Jesus Christ that out of that heart of gratitude comes worship. That's the heart of worship. I know that we know this. I know that we know that worship is really being sincere in the heart. And I know that we also know that the worship is more than a Sunday morning worship service or any other day of the week. We know that it's every day living before God. That it's called whole life worship, Right? Uh, it's found in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 27 when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, whatever you do in life, we're loving God and we're loving others, right? 
Whatever my lips offer to God in a worship service needs to reflect how I'm actually living before God every day and in relationship with other people. So whatever we do here inside the church and whatever we do outside the church, right? Church being when we, the people of God, gather. Whatever it is, it's all worship to God. And if it's not, then it's really actually not worship. In other words, it's not, it's all or nothing. It's all the time or not at all. It's not just for a little time on a Sunday morning at a worship service. And the Apostle Paul was trying to motivate the early believers to truly understand how their lives were to be lived out for God all the time. Uh, in Romans 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, he's getting at something here that's very whole life oriented. It's, it's not just coming to a service and what you say with your mouth, but it's how you are living your lives are you living as a sacrifice before God? So what he's getting at here is that true worship involves more than what we say or do or feel on a Sunday morning. It has to do with every single day of my life. It's a lifestyle that resembles Christ. So it says here, in view of God's mercy. Well, what is that all about? It's about the fact that Christ, in his mercy, gave himself as a living sacrifice for us. And now we choose to say yes to him and do the same and become a living sacrifice for Christ. That's what our true and proper worship is. It's what Jesus was referring to when he met the woman at the well. And he says to her in John 4, 23, But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Well, what's Jesus getting at here? He's getting at the fact I know you haven't read the context, but you may know the story. But they're arguing over the place of worship. Is it Jerusalem? Is it here in Samaria? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Um, you know, Jerusalem for now, but not forever. In fact, the time is coming and the time has now come when the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth, not in a particular place. So what Jesus is getting at is that worshiping God this way is that we worship him everywhere and in all places at all times. It just... It's how we worship him each and every day of our lives in spirit and in truth. Now, again, I remember when I started to understand these kinds of concepts because as a younger kid growing up in the church, I don't think I grasped them. I think I saw worship as what happened on a Sunday morning. And again, I was at Briarcrest when I had this experience uh, remembering or learning about what it meant uh, to understand this whole life worship experience. And by the way, speaking about Bible school, that's where I went, Briarcrest Bible College at the time. Um, I encourage parents to consider helping your kids to get a year of Bible school in before they start their careers. There's just so much good that comes out of that year. And there's lots of opportunities. There's Cape and Ray and YWAM and Columbia Bible College here locally, Summit, uh, Pacific and Abbotsford, Briarcrest, Prairie, Miller, PRBI, Kaleo, Vancouver Island. Lots of options. And as a church, we try to help uh, the students who go and take a year of some kind of Bible training, we have a bursary fund that they can apply for. Um, and often it's not uncommon for a student to get about $1,000 for a full school year to support them in that schooling. Because we, we see this as an extension of the Ministry of Sardis Fellowship and of our discipleship plan. So there I was at Briarcrest and my preaching teacher, Preston Bush, 
was helping us young up-and-coming future pastors to learn something about this passage in Romans 12.1. Worship wasn't so much what we said at the pulpit on a Sunday morning as it was how we lived our lives every day. And that if those two didn't match up, then it wasn't truly worship. True worship is not words, it's living in obedience to Jesus. The Old Testament on numerous occasions points this out. And when I say numerous, I mean uh, lots of different places in the Old Testament where God basically says that he's displeased with the worship of Israel. Their offerings, their sacrifices, they're meaningless. He told them even to stop coming to the temple and offering these sacrifices. Now, why would God say that? He says it because their lives aren't matching their words. Their religious actions accomplish nothing when they're living contrary to the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God. So they brought their offerings to God, but they had no mercy for their neighbor. Nor were they upholding justice for the poor and the vulnerable. So here's some examples. Amos 5, 21 to 24. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And Isaiah 11, speaking the words of God, he says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. And then he goes on a bit. And then he says in verse 17, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And in Malachi 1, he just simply says, Oh, that you would go and shut the temple doors. You see, religious action without right living is worthless before God. Now, Israel had a context for how their worship happened. Our context is different today, but it's the same principle. The same principle is that if we're not living for the values of God and the heart of God for the world, then our religious practice is empty. Justice and righteousness is what God is looking for. It's the same idea that Jesus is saying when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The two go together. What do I need to do in order to focus in order to focus on in what do I need to focus on in my life if my worship of God is going to be true? That's a question I'm asking here, although I'm having a hard time getting it out. So what is it that we need to focus on? Well, we need to focus on this living the righteousness of God that He asks of us in His Word, and then also um, being people of justice who care for those who are oppressed. This is why we take initiatives collectively and individually. So the Afternoon Adventures program is coming out of this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor, loving people to God. And and so they took some gift bags this last week to about 12 families that had some needs. And um, that came through the Afternoon Adventures connection. By the way, the program's going to start back up in January, Lord willing. Uh, So be praying for Afternoon Adventures. It's the same reason why our men's group twice now has gone in to the correctional center here in Chilliwack to encourage these men that are otherwise basically forgotten. We took in a meal this week, and there's Jeremiah Walker. He cooked this meal for us, and a group of nine guys went in to visit and serve the meal 
to make conversation, to bring the light of Christ. It's why people are motivated um, to help with those who've been impacted in the flood. I've heard so many stories, people giving their time, their money. Uh, This is a picture here of uh, Eric Mueller and some of their friends that are trying to move some cattle. And a lot of the people connected to the life of this church that are in the farming community were out shuffling animals and then sandbagging and and, um, now helping farmers clean up their farms and returning animals back to their farms. Praise God, this last week, John Arts was telling me about animals that are going back out to the Sumas Flats so they can get back into production. And so there's some hope there. But why? What motivates us? Well, it's loving God and it's loving people to God. It's why Sardis Primetime and visiting teams have taken over 70 gifts to our seniors and shut-ins. Why? Because they're trying to be mindful of people that might need a little bit of encouragement. It's loving your neighbor. It's why parents came out on Wednesday night to go into the kitchen and make a wonderful meal to serve to the youth for a banquet um, on Wednesday night. It's why a number of our families in our church got out there for the kettle campaign for Salvation Army and rang the bells and collected money so that the local food bank would have lots to give away. It's loving people to God. And you know what? There's a number of ways in which you, every week, quietly go about your daily act of worship before God. Loving God, loving people. Because you know that that's what God has called us to. That's true worship. And so we might kind of want to look at our lives and go, well, how do I know if my if I'm living out Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, verse 1. How do I know if my worship is true and proper? And so here's a couple thoughts that I have just by way of evaluation that you can take with you and kind of ask yourself this as you go about living your life. So the first one is, is what I'm doing being done for the glory of God? And that comes out of this thought in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, play sports, yeah. Go work out of the gym? Yeah. Go to school? Yeah. Stay home with my kids? Yes. Driving? Yes. Going shopping? Yes. Whatever you do, wherever you go, am I living my life in such a way that I want to bring glory to God? Am I mindful of God in my everyday life? Because if God is very distant in my mind and he doesn't come to my mind, I might go into autopilot, right? Which isn't really being mindful of God and living in a way that brings glory to him. When I'm mindful of God, my thoughts, my words, and my actions start to reflect what God wants. When I'm not mindful of God, I kind of forget. So this last week, I was out in Abbotsford heading home uh, from Costco with Anne, and I'm in the left lane, and then all of a sudden, a car in the right lane merges just in front of me in the left lane, and then they proceed to do the exact same speed limit they were doing in the right lane. Now, very unimpressed with this brilliant piece of driving, I flicked my lights a couple times just to let them know that they had violated the unwritten codes of the road. You don't do that. To which my wife said, really, Rod? (laughs) You know, it's funny how quickly you can become mindful of God when someone is there to call you out on your actions. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And being mindful of of God in our lives allows us to bring glory to him. Secondly, am I grateful? Am I grateful in my heart towards God? Because I think that gratefulness reflects worship. What would that look like? Well, again, Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus or Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. And even in hard stuff, give thanks in all circumstances. Really? So a heart of gratitude reflects our awareness of God, but also his lordship in our own lives. If we are grateful to God in our daily lives, I think that we will bring glory to him. So what would it look like to be mindful of God in our everyday lives and to be grateful to him? What would it look like in our homes, with our spouse, with our family, with our kids? What would it look like with my neighbors, those who live closest to me? What would it look like if I was to live like this at school, at my workplace, where I hang out? What would it look like if I was to be mindful of God and grateful in my heart? What would it look like in the conversations that I have, both with friends and with those that maybe I wouldn't consider friends? And if we're seeking to bring glory to God in our daily lives, then when we come together here, a place of worship, to pray, to confess, to sing, to give, to encourage, to listen and learn and grow, then I think God is going to be very pleased with our worship. In view of God's mercy, may our worship in God always be inspired by Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And you know, I want to quote this hymn in closing that says, To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son. Who yielded, who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the floodgates that all may go in. That's why we're opening the floodgates to share with others that all may come in. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. I'd like to lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we bow in your presence, we acknowledge the fact that it is difficult to live in this world and not be dragged into the way of the world. And so as we elevate our minds today and look at the church, the church family, why we meet, why we center ourselves on Christ, may you empower us by your spirit to live differently in this place where you've called us to. That we would be mindful of you and bring glory to you. That we would have grateful hearts and bring glory to you. I pray that you would lead us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a few questions I have for you as you consider what it means to worship God. First off, what are some of the church life activities that happen each year at Christmas that you enjoy? And why do you enjoy them? Secondly, would you say that you depend too much on external factors in order to worship God? And I have, you know, a worship service in mind here. Thirdly, what changes need to happen in your life to live out Romans 12.1 so that your worship is true and proper. God bless you. Hope to see you here on Christmas Eve and then again on Sunday, December 26. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.